The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to yet another edition of Friday Night Live with me Hafiz Shaban on this Friday evening the Friday the 24th of January 2020 I believe corresponding to the 29th of Jamadul Awal 1441 uh, as usual broadcasting live uh, from Luton Inspire FM 105.1 FM and of course also broadcasting to our sister stations nationally Sheffield Link FM Peterborough Salam, Derby, Nottingham. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to all of our listeners out there in those lovely towns and cities. And of course, also uh, our greetings, warm greetings to anyone who's listening to us on the Inspire FM app or, of course, tuned in via Facebook live stream. Uh, try to try to get involved today try to speak to me today try to get your thoughts across to us today we're going to be discussing a number of interesting topics I want to hear from you uh, my listeners 01582 0158248182 share your thoughts and your opinions uh, 0779-0779-481822 is the number for your SMS and your WhatsApp messages but you know what? You, you can just call me. You can just call me uh, and I promise I'll have the most timid and most friendliest conversation with you, you know, that you've ever had. Uh, so 01582481822, I do prefer for you to speak to me directly. But if you want to send in the SMS, WhatsApp, you know, feel free to do that also. Right. Juma Mubarak for all of you out there. Inshallah, pray that the Friday has gone well. Ramadan countdown. I'm reminded, of course, you know, of just a few months remaining before Ramadan done inshallah so it's around the corner just before i quickly introduce to you the lineup for this evening that i've got uh, in terms of the topics i'm going to be trying to discuss with my um, with my guests with my panelists and try to get input from my listeners you know china's been making headlines now at the moment with the coronavirus right i don't know what you make of uh, the coronavirus but i was reading about it earlier of course the death toll is rising and a lot more uh, countries around the world are becoming a, a, a lot more alert to you know the the, the ongoing development out in China but I tell you what I was reading a bit about the background to this uh, coronavirus and the early cases of this infection were traced to a South China seafood wholesale market where they were selling live animals including bats and snakes oh my that's quite alarming quite alarming right oh I wouldn't I wouldn't like to be walking through that market uh, but anyway, uh, I've, I'm going to be speaking to a number of organizations this evening. I'm going to be speaking to CAGE. I'm going to be speaking to Islamic Human Rights Commission. And I've got a number of individuals, inshallah, in the studio with me we, we are, or over the phone. We're going to be speaking to Naeem Mia, who's a QC, widely regarded as one of the leading criminal barristers practicing today. We've got Councilor Aslam Khan. And we've got local businessman and leading community figure, Janab. We've got uh, Nisasa from Ideal Properties, hopefully joining me, making his first appearance, hopefully, in, here in the studio to discuss to discuss some of our lead stories number one our lead story is terrorism laws now you you may want to just pay attention to this for a few moments government has announced recently that the terrorist laws the terrorism laws are about to get tougher within weeks within weeks they're about to get tougher now a lot of you out there would have thought that we've already got draconian terrorist laws and you know prevent being one of the toxic ones right 
so why do they need to get any tougher than they currently are already? That's the question I'm going to be asking. I'm speaking to Cage in a few minutes. We're also going to be speaking to Islamic uh, Human Rights Commission Masood Sharjah and uh, the, the, there's a question mark that's been uh, you know, raised. There's a question that's been raised. Should the United States be prosecuted for genocide over its sanctions policy? Now, when I read that article, I thought, if you're going to start, where do you stop when it comes to the United States, right? Prosecuted for genocide over its sanctions policies? What about all the other policies that you could potentially prosecute the US for or for that matter India for or for that matter Israel or for that matter many of the many China right Russia you know where, where does this where does the list stop where does it start and is it even viable is it even viable in today's current age when these are the particular specific countries that are running these institutions and controlling these institutions for their own purpose and on their own end right so that's a question for you to think about i want to hear your thoughts on that a couple of other stories very quickly that we're going to be covering i'm going to be discussing later on in the second hour of the show shops and takeaways right shops and takeaways but it's a different a different perspective shops and takeaways hygiene and health and safety right hygiene and health and safety right so we're going to be discussing shops takeaways hygiene and health and safety i think you may have visited a lot of shops in your time a lot of takeaways in your time i want to know what do you you know where do you consider how do you consider that you know how are we doing with regards to hygiene health all right i want i want to know from you your personal experiences of shops and takeaways and you you know if if you want to uh you know i don't i, I don't want to name any particular takeaways on, on live on, on live radio for obvious reasons but i do want to hear your thoughts shops takeaways where do we stand as hygiene are we taking hygiene seriously do you think we're making an improvement or is it getting worse right we're going to be discussing that because there was a there was a story on one of the takeaways that had its license taken away because of absolute abject and poor hygiene last but not least very quickly luton has been named in the top five most affordable commuter towns right top five most affordable commuter towns we're going to be discussing with the deputy leader of the council and we're going to be discussing with nisasa from ideal properties what does that mean for luton so that is the lineup folks for this evening right let's move on to uh, immediately to our uh, you know our, our lead story and that is of course the government announcing that the terrorism laws are to get tougher within weeks right Ter- terrorism laws to get tougher within weeks that's what the government vows uh, we're going to hopefully be speaking to an expert on on terrorism laws and criminal law uh, and that is of course earlier i was mentioning qc uh, naim uh, mia we, we, we've got him on the line but just a quick introduction right uh, a lot of people were probably expecting this with the with the re-election of the conservative party uh, probably not you know too many surprise not not too many people will be surprised by that news maybe by the speed of the news possibly uh, but of course it was announced and some of the, the 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 measures that have been announced have been quite incredible quite incredible i mean lie detector tests 
lie detector test. I mean, that sounds almost surreal, but let's go straight to the experts and let's get the opinion of the experts on, on this particular matter, right? So we've got uh, Naeem Mia on, 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 the, on, on the phone. Uh, so let me welcome uh, Naeem Mia firstly to Friday Night Live and Inspire FM. I, I believe first time we're speaking to you, Naeem Saab. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum and, and welcome to Friday Night Live. Walaikum salam and thank you for the invitation. Fantastic. All right. So, uh, you know, of course, you're the expert in, the, in this area, in this subject matter. You know, I'm just reading your profile regarded as one of the leading criminal barristers practicing today. Fantastic. Sounds brilliant. Uh, now, you, so some of the people might be you know, surprised by the speed of some of this legislation that's actually being, you know, discussed. Of course, there's a, the bill that's going to go to be put to Parliament in, in March. Uh, of course, it's, uh, the, the, the events of November are being cited as a pretext for that. A lot of people are already complaining and, you know, we were trying to get through to Cage and we haven't been able to with regards to the draconian legislation that already exists out there. Do, do you think this is one step too far? Any surprises for you here or were you expecting this? I was expecting it, to be frank. In the mm. wake of what happened at London Bridge with Osman yeah. Khan, yeah. I'm not entirely surprised. It's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a classic kind of knee-jerk reaction, and it mm. seems to me to be ill thought out. The idea that somehow the unreliable method of lie detector tests is going to be introduced into, into, into some sort of assessment of whether or not somebody's been properly rehabilitated just seems absurd to me and i have to say it it may very well be that that's just something that's been trailed in the press but ultimately doesn't make its way onto the statute books because everyone knows that these things are unreliable and so to think that they may be used as some kind of assessment tool is just is just absurd it seems to me Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's not just uh, it's just not me, you know, reading into a lie detector test. Are, 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 we, are we for real? Right. Uh, but but I mean, there's been a number of other measures that have been announced. I mean, you're not going to be surprised to hear, you know, a police, you know, funding is increased by 90 million. It seems that like we've got plenty of money when it comes to counter-terrorism uh, you know they're, they're, you know they're suggesting of course longer prison sentences they're suggesting you know getting more imams on the on the salary books uh, okay to counter-terrorism I mean you know lie detector test is is one of one of the measures that has been proposed plus the others is it do, do you, I, I know from you from your perspective from a, from a legal perspective you're more in in, in the business of uh, you know protecting you know and defending or or, or, or maybe prosecuting in, in in that case but but do you really think this kind of legislation it helps in this area well the legislation that's already in existence mm. gives ample powers to the police the courts and the prosecuting authorities so it seems to me that this is just overkill now, ramping up the sentences, for example, mm. um, it's just not necessary. For, for example, for example, on a dissemination case, which is if you have a document which is deemed to be terrorist in nature and it's published, so you send it on to somebody, yeah, yeah you're looking at sentences of 10 years and wow. so on. So actually, it seems to me that you've got plenty of powers there already and ramping it up in the way of sentencing powers is just not needed on the section five the maximum section five is preparing for uh, for acts of terrorism 
Well, Section 5, the maximum sentence is life. So, actually, mm. you've got ample sentencing powers already. And this really does seem to me to be a knee-jerk reaction. Yes, there may be the perception that there is a threat in the wake of what happened at London Bridge, for example. That points to the fact that there is, in some people's books, um, a, a, a live threat. But the reality is, is that these incidents are few and very far in between, yeah. thankfully. And committing the sort of um, policies that they are now proposing to such isolated incidents, which actually have far-reaching effects, mm. seems all thought out to me. Mm. So, I, I mean, do, do you think it's a case of actually, you know what, uh, almost end justifies the means in, in, in the sense that there's a, and a lot of people argue that there's a deeper agenda uh, behind a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, political moves, right? In essence, because, uh, as you said, I mean, you know, no one, you know, you know, ev- you know, a lot of people have condemned. No, no, no one condones what happened in November, but it was a knife attack, and we've had, you know, you you, you have, you know, knife attacks every single day of of, of the year, right? Uh, but then to see. You know, a specific community almost being targeted, uh, as as some people would argue. You know, and and as you say, you know, with a, an increase of uh, uh, focus, increase of legislation, and and everything else that's associated with it, it, it almost seems that there was already an ag- agenda item that was being you know that was being prepared to be picked up. Look, what's inescapable is that mm. whilst you make the valid point that there are an alarming rise in knife attacks, Mm. okay? The knife attack that happened on London Bridge is very different. Mm. And it's very different for the obvious reason that Osman Khan was a serving um, prisoner who'd been released following a conviction for a terrorism-related offence. That's the big difference between that knife attack and the other knife attacks that go on. We can't ignore that. Yeah, we've got to be realistic about it. Yeah. It does, it, does this policy point to uh, a, a greater marginalisation or victimisation of a particular community, um, i.e. our community, the Muslim community? Yeah. Well, it, it, it certainly brings a spotlight to it. It certainly means that people are feeling more victimised as a result of it. And what's the pushback then? You know, mm. what is the community going to do as a result of this. I mean, yeah. there are so-called community leaders, there are Muslim organizations. Whether or not they were consulted on any of this, I simply don't know the answer. But it seems to me that if you are looking to tackle whatever kind of a problem it may be, in whichever community it may be, it's worthwhile having a dialogue with that community. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of dialogue, we've managed to get through to uh, brothers uh, Kerry uh, Bullivant from from Cage, uh, who is the Cage spokesman. Slaunikam, uh, brother Kerry, and and welcome to Friday night, a Friday night live. Uh, thank you very much for your time this evening. I want I want to go straight into this question of. Uh, of dialogue, you know, with, with the community, of course. I mean, uh, you know, especially in light of the, the, the recent report that Cage has issued, Beyond Prevent, uh, a real mm-hmm. alternative to securitized policies. Uh, and, and, and discuss that in, in the background of 
terrorism laws to get tougher within weeks, government vows. I mean, what, what do you make of, you know, you know, further commitment to further terrorism laws, further, you know, punitive measures against a particular community? Uh, and especially in light with, you know, the, the report that you're issuing, which says your existing legislation and existing policies, uh, policies simply don't work and are not working. Well, I think the evidence of that is in the fact that for the last almost 20 years now, we've consistently, consistently gone down the securitization route mm. um, where we have ramped up again and again the laws, kept on stiffening them, kept on creating new offenses and new ways that these offenses um, can be dealt with um, in stiffer and stiffer sentences time and again. And yet the problem is still continuing. Your other guest is entirely right. Um, we need to actually get into a situation of dialogue um, by creating more legislation that seems to pick out one community, that seems to um, identify just the Muslims as these people are a problem. What you're doing is you're creating the narrative that the, the people that want to do harm to us, to our society, want, which is that we're not welcome here, we're not part of this society. And the way that this problem needs to be dealt with and should have been dealt with from the beginning is in a cooperative manner, in a manner as partners, where the Muslim community was brought on board um, and was listened to yeah. and had uh, an, an uh, equal share in this discussion. But, but Kerry, Car- we, we, it, it's been criminal justice. As the so, only tool to get to where they want to go. Yeah, so so I, I hear that point, and I, I see that you know Cage has issued an open letter to the Home Secretary, right? Uh, and then there's been this the, the kind of line of discussion now for many many years. But I mean, Prevent has been out there for a number of years. Is it a case that it's just falling on deaf ears? And 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 if so, what further can be done to really make this point? Because at the moment, it doesn't seem like a dialogue. It seems like a monologue, if if or at least a, you know one way communication. Uh, and, and, and it seems that the government's, you know, preferred option is just to drive through legislation uh, and, and securitization. I think, well, uh, I think part, sorry, okay. I was just no, going go to say, Cherry, that w- 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 one of the problems, it seems to me, is, and, and I speak as someone who's been doing terrorism-related offences for a number of years, yeah. and I've met many, many clients over the years charged with such offences. And I've obviously therefore been keeping a close eye on policy issues and and developments in the field. But speaking as somebody who is a Muslim, it seems to me that one of the problems is, is that there is not one single authoritative organisation that is willing or able or even exists to that for that matter to actually engage with the powers that be. Mm. And so when you have a vacuum of people to talk to, a vacuum of people that are prepared to engage in dialogue, then the government has no... And I'm no, I'm no fan of the Home Secretary, yeah. but the, the, the mm. government then has 
nobody to engage in a dialogue mm. with. That's the problem. Well, well I, I'm, I'm sure Kerry will push back on that because I, I think the, the, the fact of the matter is government is very selective uh, who it wants to engage with and, and where it engages. And we see that happening all the time with the many allegations and many you know, responses from a lot of the you know, grassroots organisations saying, well, you know, I mean, these are not people who represent the community. But, but Kerry, a wider point, of course, you've issued your, you know, the, the counter prevent, right, beyond prevent report. What is the idea behind this, uh, you know, beyond prevent report? And, and what are you, what are you suggesting apart from, you know, a two way dialogue with government to address the problems of any potential terrorism that may exist in any community? What's your underly- underlying message? So, uh, fundamentally, what it comes down to um, is that the approach that needs to be taken um, with dealing with problems where they exist within the Muslim community are not through a securitized approach and, and constantly trying to look at every Muslim through the lens of, 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 of counter-terrorism, which is what we currently see um, with PREVENT. Um, just a, a, a week ago, there was a, a, a paper... That, uh, or guidelines that had to be withdrawn from the Met, which said that sort of uh, yeah. believing that Muslims are being oppressed anywhere in the world yeah. is a yeah. sign of extremism. That was incredible. Um, incredible. So yeah. we're saying that you need to pull back from those sorts of uh, pieces of uh, that sort of approach mm. and create a dialogue, create a, create an approach where Muslims are at the forefront of that problem, mm. um, where it does need dealing with. And we've been saying this for many, many years. There mm. needs to be space to have these conversations at the moment because any mosque that was to do um, uh, discussions of an overtly political nature discussing what's been going on in the world what's happening they're suddenly going to be in the spotlight and and attacked as we've seen with um, people like uh, uh, Lewisham Mosque and Sheikh Shaquille Berg and uh, you get uh, slanders against them and then that creates a situation where other mosques don't want to go down that path Yes. And if children and young people have questions, they, they're interested in things, they need to find out about things, yeah. they can't go to their imam, they can't go to their community, they can't go to the, the people of knowledge, the elders around mm. them that mm. have an actual understanding of these things, and they're forced onto the internet, into, right. the, into the arms yeah. of people who are very dangerous. All right, so, uh, uh, gents, gents we, we've got about... More on th- discussion. Yeah, so we've got about three, three four minutes. So, so very quickly, so Naeem, I mean, a question for you is in terms of, I mean, you're following, you know, the, the you know, terrorism legislation, criminal law, etc. What is the trend that you're seeing? And I wouldn't be surprised if you say, if you say it's a very busy period for you in terms of what we're seeing at the moment. And, and uh, and Kerry, uh, the question for you is, Naeem had a valid point, which is, you know, is there an authority? I mean, with this kind of issue, I would have expected a very broad consensus within the Muslim community of coming together with some, you know, consolidated and a unified, uh, you know, at least agreement on, on core issues so that, they, you know, that you've got a core set of principles to actually engage with government on, right? Or a body that can engage the government on. And, and Naeem makes a, a valid point that we still don't seem to have that, right? So, uh, Perhaps some clarity there, Kerry, in terms of what what is happening on, on in in that area. But name very quickly, firstly to, to you in terms of the trends of what what we're seeing at the moment. Well, what we're seeing is um, a, a Home Secretary who is 
completely untroubled by engaging with any kind of dialogue and feels that it's appropriate to go down the path that she's going. The result of that is that you you have a community that is increasingly feeling victimized. The, the solution, it seems to me, or one of the solutions, is that there needs to be an authoritative body um, that is that speaks for all sections of our community that can engage in dialogue. And at the moment, we don't have that. Right. So, Kerry, that question, authoritative body, I mean, th mm. this work has been going on at grassroots levels across, you know, you know, across pollination, across the other organizations for a long time. Where are we in being, mm. in being able to get across consensus? Ironically, there is, while there is a consensus on certain issues, certainly mm. in dealing with a lot of these CT issues, um, it's, it's got to be remembered that our community is not one single homogenous group. And so it's, yeah. um, it's very hard to get us to agree um, on a lot of topics. But the, the big problem here isn't actually um, agreement between the Muslims, because, as I said, with issues of CT, by and large, even between the organizations like MEND, MCB, CAGE, um, which account for a huge number of, uh, of Muslims, there is uh, agreement for the most part on the approach that we need to be taking. Right. The problem is that the government refuses to engage with any of those organizations on these, on these issues. Mm. And we saw that with the MCB. The MCB have generally been an umbrella body that were, were given Dismissed. a seat yeah. at the table for, for yeah. a long time. Yeah until even they were decided and, yeah. and pushed out okay. for being too too radical. Okay. And this uh, is the MCB we're talking about here, yeah. because the government felt that they would rather engage with people like William. Exactly. So, uh, so Kerry, I've got 30 seconds left. Where do you want to go with your report beyond prevent? So you've issued this report, you've issued your guidelines, you, of course you've issued it for a particular target audience. What's your, what's your intended aim from, from, from your points on that report? Ideally, for mm. people like myself and Cage and, and for your other guests to not have a job in this area, um, we shouldn't be dealing with this for a, for a security approach, for uh, a criminal justice approach at all, uh, all of the time. And we need to deal with this in a collaborative um, approach that deals with communication right. and gets down to the core of the issues and understands that we are all equal citizens and not just a problem uh, right. suspect community. All right. Thank you very much. On, on that note, gentlemen, Naimia QC and Kerry Bullivan, a spokesman for Cage. Thank you very much, chaps. And unfortunately, we've run out of time for, for this story. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks. Right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Naimia QC, uh, brother Kerry from Bullivant from Cage, giving us their perspective. We're going to discuss that when we come back, inshallah, from the commercial break. Uh, you are with me, Hafiz Shaban, Friday Night Live. Uh, we're going to go into commercial break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Until then, don't go away. I want to get your thoughts on tougher legislation that the government is vowing against terrorism, on terrorism laws. Until then, Salaam Alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, on this uh, evening, uh, Friday the 24th of January, and now we've just gone past 6 30 uh, this evening. But uh, we, we have kicked off the show uh, and we have been discussing 
uh, first story of this evening was government intent on introducing tougher terrorism laws within weeks right there's going to be this bill that's going to be proposed in march i believe in the houses of parliament uh, and you heard the, the opinions from Kerry Bullivan, who's a cage spokesman, and also from QC Naeem Mia. What did, what did you make of this, right? What did you make of that conversation? 01582481822. I want to hear your thoughts. In particularly, what do you make of the introduction to lie detectors? Lie detectors. I mean, it sounds like a, you know, a scene out of the Hollywood movies, right? 0779 right? That's the message for your SMS and text messages. Now, listen, you know, of course, the, the internet world is a lot more vibrant, you know, than some of my listeners. But I, I want to. I'm optimistic that we're going to get some feedback from my listeners so i just typed in lie detector test and i thought let me let me see what comes up with this and it's brilliant i mean you know i've got art i've got i've got some headlines there lie detector tests for terrorist convicts are just a hollywood stunt just a hollywood stunt Right, government terror advisor warns no magic test to stop reoffending. How, how do you, how on earth do you would you expect that? And some of the tweets are fantastic. Should, should politicians be subject to lie detector tests? Right? Should politicians be subject to lie detector tests? Yes, please. Please start with Boris Johnson, and that's the point. That's the point. Right, so I want to hear your thoughts on 1582481822, Just another Hollywood stunt, right, to get a bit more publicity on this particular story. As as uh, per the comments, both, you know, unified on this, Kerry and uh, QC Naimia, what is really required is a two-way engagement, two-way conversation, and a genuine conversation with grassroots Muslim community or any other community to discuss this issue, and not just a, you know a superficial you know approach to you know select the hand few from within the wider community that may echo some palatable points that you wanna you wanna hear right so I think that's what we're seeing we've seen a very disingenuous disingenuine approach and I think that was the point that was being made earlier all right we're gonna move on to our next story next story we're gonna be discussing an, an interesting article that that I that caught my attention and I thought let, let, let's pick this up and, and have a conversation on this particular story i mean where do we go with this right the u.s should be prosecuted says the article the u.s should be prosecuted i mean tried prosecuting it for anything but hang on it should actually be prosecuted for genocide over its sanctions policy now we know that the u.s sanctions policy has been displaced despicable, uh, deplorable, inhumane for decades on end. I mean, who can ever forget the infamous statement of Madeleine Albright when she was asked with regards to the sanctions policy in Iraq that was leading to the to the deaths of thousands and thousands and thousands of Iraqi children? Is it a price worth paying? And she openly and blatantly said yes. 
right? So that is the United States attitude, right? When it comes to its, you know, it, it comes to its agenda. But then there was a wider question that came to my mind and we're going to be speaking to someone who's going to hopefully address some of these questions that are at least coming in my mind. I want to hear, you know, what my listeners think, right? Uh, which is, where do you start and where would you stop, you know, you know, trying to prosecute? I mean, and who would you, you know, who would you prosecute? Is it just the US? What about Blair? What about the UK? What about the Bushes before that? Obama, of course, Netanyahu, Modi, the Gulf rulers, you know, you know, and the list would just continue and continue and continue. Do we really have any ray of hope in being able to prosecute the very same people who not only, you know, have legislation to ensure that they're immune and they're protected, right, but also chair and govern the very same institutions which we're going to try to use to prosecute them. All right, let, let, let's get this, some light, light shed on this particular subject matter because I think it's an interesting argument. And we've got uh, Brother Masood Shahjah. Fantastic to have you on the, on, on the line, uh, Brother Masood, from Islamic Human Rights Commission. You hear my predicament and my thoughts. What, 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 do, what do you think, Brother Masood? Yeah, first of all, uh, Salam alaikum, and it's a pleasure to meet uh, you. Um, look, I mean, as you said, um, this is an issue that needs to be addressed urgently. And uh, and uh, this, uh, we had a, a program which is Genocide Memorial. Mm. And we look at all genocide uh, and all the man's inhumanity to man, not just selective right. one or two. And we go back to sort of uh, um, sort of 100 million who died as a result of the slavery. Right. What happened to indigenous population in uh, United States and Americas and also right. Right. Uh, Australia? Yeah, because, uh, you know, they're all human. And, uh, and, and is, this a, human I, is this a human right, uh, Islamic Human Rights Commission kind of initiative? the Ge Ge Genocide Memorial Day is, or is this an international yes, day? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. uh, it is. And this year was the seventh year and it's uh, held right. at the seven different countries around the world, including uh, Mexico and uh, and many others. Now, the thing, the thing is this, that uh, within that context, it's not just good enough to remember um, sort of those who perish as a result of genocide. Yeah. But we need to find a way to stop it for the future. Hmm. And what we argue is one of the uh, genocidal acts and genocide is, is uh, committed by starvation, by yes. sanctions. Yes. I mean, um, uh, look, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Iraq. I mean, Madeleine Albright was asked uh, half a million Yes. Children died as mm. a result of sanction at the time of Saddam. Yes. Was that justifiable? And she said, yes. Yes. I mean, half a million children. I mean, mm. the, the, the issue here is that, you know, in war, as horrifying as it is, there is a proportion of uh, soldiers who die and there is a proportion of civilian who die. Yes. But as a result of sanction, it's actually always... Mm. civilians who die and the most uh, deprived section of the society yes uh, you know children you know people who have got less financial means mm. and etc etc those who are ill those who need medicine and this yeah. is not something historical it's happening right now in Venezuela yeah. it's happening right now in Yemen mm. it's happening right now in, in many parts of the world I mean there are mm. The sanctions uh, being implemented by United States right across the globe, and you know, individually decide that 
this uh, sanctions is going to be implemented and then you know people die mm. people die in large numbers and and it's not considered as an act of war or even war crime mm. if half a million children wow. are targeted and killed in the war this is genocide yeah. but when they do it at the time of so-called peace Yes. with, uh, you know, uh, these artificial sanctions force, yeah. mm. then, uh, you know, there is, under international law and the humanitarian law, there is really nothing to be answered for. And we are arguing, and we were arguing, that now that sanctions have become almost uh, preferred mm. um, sort of tool yeah. by powers, we need to have a change in the attitude and change mm. in the way we look at this and indeed bring those who cause the death of so many innocent people uh, to account. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the point, uh, Brother Masood. I think it's a fantastic initiative. I think it's a fantastic message. Uh, it will resonate with the, you know, humanity at large. Uh, and, and I think the, the world is not, you know, oblivious to, you know, the American exceptionalism that we have seen over the last number of decades, right? Almost, you know, the uni unilateral police state can go ahead and do whatever it likes without any recount to justice and, and accountability. But I mean, isn't that the point that they actually, as they the victors write history, right? And, and and these victors are the ones who are going, you know, getting away with all of this because they're the ones who control government, control institutions, control the very bodies that almost we would be using as a vehicle to try to, you know, criminalize the the, the people who are actually, you know, carrying out those uh, who are the perpetrators in the first place. Well, I I I, I think. Uh First of all, I think our responsibility is to mm. uh, highlight these things. Correct. And then also, I, I, I would say that the United States is not as powerful as it thinks it is. Mm. And if anything, we could argue that the power of United States is slipping away. Mm. And in some ways, this is why United States has become more dangerous, because it hasn't got the power that it did have before, but it wants to maintain its superiority. Mm. And so, therefore, it commits these sort of acts. Yeah. And it's, these sanctions are not just... Uh, um, regarding Venezuela and uh, yes. Iran and yeah, Turkey yeah. and so yeah. forth. Uh, you know, recently they actually put sanction on Germany and Russia over the gas pipeline. Mm. You know, they're going <laughs> completely bunkers. They're yeah. actually threatening Europe and elsewhere in the world. And this is because they don't have the power uh, that they had before. They don't have the moral authority either. Mm. And I think, um, you know, we're going to see more dangerous actions yeah. by the United States in this so, current so, so, decline. So, so, so Masood, uh, Masood, just clarify for, for our listeners. So, I mean, you know, America is, is known for imposing tariffs and imposing additional taxation, you know, with a, with a China wars, trade wars with China, for example, with some of the other European nations that you've mentioned. When it comes to sanctions, is, is, is that something that America it can do unilaterally as, as a state against another state? Or is it something that they normally have to you know, kind of uh, legislate through the United Nations, for example? 
Well, it, you know, sanctions should be uh, going through the United yeah. Nations, and you know, mm. the, uh, but uh, you know, uh, currently I'm putting a letter together mm. to get others to sign. But I think even United Nations, United Nations is not there to create wars. You know, is is there to bring peace? I mean, a lot of people and would say they, they're know, not sure what, what is there for. To be honest with you, but okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, you you propose well, you're an optimist. I think you propose peace, but no, fair I'm enough. not an optimist. But the point is this. That you know, United Nations is incompetent of doing anything. I agree with that, but mm. you know, it cannot go against its own aims and objectives. Mm. And that is, you know, if it cannot do anything to help, mm. it should not uh, create an environment where half a million children will be killed. Mm. But but I think I think in the fact is this that the United States is acting um, sort of uh, in bullying position mm. when it puts sanctions on its own authority Absolutely. rather than authority of the UN Absolutely. and um, you know I, I think the problem is goes far beyond sanctions as you mentioned is the issue of tariffs yeah. is the issue that uh, the current uh, administration under uh, Trump it has gone completely mad it's yeah. undermining every uh, commitment that the United States has got be it mm. environment or mm. anything else mm. uh, and then also internally mm. uh, you know it hasn't even got the support of its own people mm. um, you know the, the United States is divided right now in mm. a way that it has never been before yeah I, I mean I guess one of the biggest problems that we have uh, uh, Sharjah is that you know you've you've got the international so-called institutions UN World Bank IMF uh, and an and affiliate an affiliated body Bodies, you know, and associations, and these are all, you know, managed and manipulated. You know, they've got the rights of power, rights yeah. of veto, etc. So there's not much you're going to get from these institutions at all. Now, when I look to the Muslim world, and, and a lot of these are Muslim-related issues, there's a lot of humanitarian issues here, wider points, and, and I totally agree with you. But you would expect the Muslim nations to use their kind of institutions, you know, to be a conscience, to be a voice, you know, and represent, and, and you know, particularly articulate cases for the Rohingya Muslims or case, you know, for the uh, Xinjiang Muslims or a case for, uh, you know, some of the other humanitarian issues around the world. But they seem to be more impotent than even the ones that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, well, first of all, I, I, you're absolutely right that there is a huge problem with international institutions, everything from the International Court, UN, World Bank, you know, all these. And uh, they're all uh, colonial tools. And they're not really there to function in the way that most ordinary people expect them. Mm. But having said that, we need to have international yeah. uh, laws to yeah. uh, to implement. You know, we can't live in the law of jungles. So, yeah. what is uh, we need to have something much more workable, much more supported, yeah. something that is not based on colonial colonialism and so forth mm. you know and, and we need to work towards that but when it mm. comes to the issue of the Muslim world I mean for God's sake I mean uh, you know with the exception of a uh, very few the rest mm. of them are part of the problem part of the problem not the solution uh, I, I and, and you know yeah and and you know there is there is you know there is right now uh, you know uh, some of these deaths and the sanctions mm. um, uh, and blockades are being done by so-called Muslims. Yeah, I absolutely. mean the Gulf states are actually mm. blocking um, Qatar. Doing it to Qatar. <laughs> Qatar. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and you know, this is incredible. a colleague. You know, incredible. This is, it's, it's, 
It is absurd. Or, or what is happening in Yemen. Yeah. I mean, you know, political differences aside, mm. you can't create a situation that mm. even the most conservative estimate is that one million people are going to perish mm. as a result of disease and the blockage of mm. food and medicine. You know, where in Islam yeah. can you justify yeah, such a thing? Absolutely. Or where in any mm. principle you could justify such a thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and it wasn't the case that recently it was Gambia that actually went, uh, was it Was it to the United Nations and raised the case of Myanmar and the Rohingya Muslims? I, I believe it was. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, mm. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, we should praise them for doing that. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it's not the Rohingya Muslims are not just dying yeah. as a result of ethnic cleansing Correct. by Myanmar government. Yeah. Yeah. They're dying because of the way they're being treated yeah. in in Bangladesh Correct. and elsewhere yeah. in the Muslim yeah. world. You know, yeah. we we are not even supporting them on a humanitarian basis, let yeah. alone standing up. I mean, look, uh, with the money that we spend to kill people in Yemen, mm. you could have stopped the issue of the Myanmar uh, in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I agree. And, and last qu- a quick question, if I may, uh, Masood Shaja, I really appreciate your time uh, this evening. I mean, with all of these problems that we've cited, nevertheless, uh, the, the key point is that we have to raise public awareness. We have to, you know, appeal to humanitarian conscience, right? And um, we have Absolutely. to, you know, address, you know, this bullying tactics uh, of, of these colonialist individuals or institutions. So, and, and you will find a lot of apathy and a lot of support with a lot of humanity out there, right? And that's the case that yeah. we still have to press ahead, you know, with the tools uh, and apparatus available to us as a means of raising that awareness right so h- how have you found that engagement as in particular i mean you've, you've had this conference in london uh, the gmd conference genocide memorial day conference you know and you've had participants T- tell tell us more about you know what what are you getting back from people that are, who are coming to well, this well i mean i mean a lot of people rising up to this uh, challenges and you know we we every year this conference deals with different issues right. we have dealt with issues like uh, weapons of mass destruction as a tool of genocide including atomic weapons and chemical weapons and so forth we have uh, dealt with the issue of uh, demonization and creating environment hate as a preceding factor to genocide and many other issues and there's a lot of support there and mm. you know we also uh, were planning uh, we, we, we planned um, material for teaching in the schools and uh, that was available through uh, times uh, education supplement and so forth but what happened in the last two days and after our last conference the uh, Jewish Chronicle started doing an article and accusing us of uh, anti-Semitism because we organize this genocide and their argument is two things one is uh, why we are being supportive and we're saying that genocidal acts are being taken and implemented against the Palestinians Mm. and the second thing was that you know they say that we should only deal with the issue of uh, Holocaust and genocide that took place after the Holocaust Mm. we should not talk about man in humanity to man before. We should shut up uh, over the killing uh, almost 
destroying um, uh, sort of the whole population of uh, indigenous people in Americas and uh, in, in Australia, what they did to Algerians, um, the famine of, uh, you know, um, uh, in, in yeah, the famine yeah. that took place in uh, both Ireland and elsewhere, and, and goes yeah, on yeah. and on and on. Right, right, right. Now, to me, I think, uh, you know, any human being is as valuable as any other human being. Mm. And uh, if we are going to deal with this thing, we need to be not uh, choosing. And, you know, yeah. the fact of the matter is, yes, um, there was a killing of uh, and committing of the genocide mm. by the Nazis. And we address that, you yeah, know, yeah. without any shame or favor. But we also address everything else. Absolutely. And I think, I think there, is, there is an issue that there are certain people who want to use the they want to use the issue of um, Holocaust uh, for a political sympathy mm. uh, to justify um, sort of injustices which are taking place in that region. And I think we need to also combat that. And we need to all come together, human yeah. beings, on, as a, you know, Muslims, Jews, Christians, people of all faith, people of none, because this is an issue that addresses the humanity. Absolutely. And uh, indeed, this is what we do every year. Yeah. The many people who come forward are from all different backgrounds, yeah. including very large number of uh, people from the Jewish uh, community. But the Zionists are not happy, and yeah. they're basically uh, uh, making complaints to the extent that... Uh, they have put pressure on Thai supplement uh, nice. to stop uh, putting our uh, lessons uh, that we have uh, uh, done for Bosnia and elsewhere. Right. Uh, but this is this is a battle that unfortunately goes on, and and we need to sort of continue doing Amr Maruf Nahiyat Munkar and sort of educate ourselves and others. Uh, no, fantastic. And uh, you know, you took the last question from from my mouth, which was the cross representation in in these. Uh, you know memorial conferences from other faiths and, and, and other organizations and I, and I think you've just already answered that uh, and, and I, I guess the trend of a lot of these uh, conscious and conscientious writers and academics and you know uh, you know authors is is fast increasing and, and you you'd be surprised at, um, um, at how many people are you know joining hands on such issues and initiatives uh, across you know faiths and and, and uh, you know and, and geographies right and I think that's what you probably are seeing in terms of the attendees and, and the people that are you know yes. participating in this conference i guess right yes yes absolutely and, mm. and you know they, with uh, these five countries which was uh, mexico uh, switzerland uh, belgium uh, and holland and the uh, uk mm. uh, with the exception of one of them the rest of them were being organized by people of other states and you know mm. it wasn't organized by by muslims there and i think uh, that's the whole beauty of it you mm. know this is the issue of addressing humanity, which from a Muslim perspective is our duty. Mm. But it's not, it's not something that is, it, it's the, you know, protecting the humanity is something that we need to bring everyone on board. All right, uh, Masood Shahjah, thank you very much for, for joining us this evening. It's been brilliant talking to you. Uh, thank you very, very much once, once again. Masood Shahjah from the Islamic, uh, Chair of Islamic Human Rights Commission. Jazakallah, Assalamu alaikum. Barakallah, 
Okay, uh, listeners, that was uh, Masood Shaja. I, I was given uh, a producer's note to say he's only available for 10 minutes, but mashallah, I managed to, or we managed to get it extended for the last 20 minutes. Uh, so really appreciate your time uh, this evening, Masood Shaja. Uh, and we were discussing, should the US be prosecuted for genocide over its sanctions policy? Now, my listeners, right, you must, a lot of my listeners will be able to remember the days of the Gulf War. Many of you would have remembered the days of Madden and Albright, that infamous, you know, absolute, almost inhumane statement and how she could just sit there and make that statement that a policy which is taking the lives of a half a million innocent children is worth, it's, it's a price worth paying. I mean, the callousness of that woman is incredible, absolutely incredible, right? And, 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 and uh, you know, a, a great initiative by the Islamic Human Rights Commission, Genocide Memorial Day. And I think the point that was being made is genocide is genocide, irrespective of whether it's a Muslim or a non-Muslim or any person of any faith. Genocide is genocide and it's something which is abhorrent in Islam. And we know that very clearly, categorically. It seems like some people have got a, you know, almost a, uh, you know, an opinionated stance that genocide can only mean when it's discussed in the context of a particular ethnicity. I'm not sure if that's what Masood Shah Masood Shah was was um, Shahjah was was alluding to, but uh, but anyway, I mean I mean the the point is, should the U.S. be prosecuted? I mean that's the question I'm putting out there. I mean you know it's not just the U.S. is it? I mean where do you stop? Where does that list stop? And, and we see it's almost a free reign for Russia today in Syria. It's a free reign for China in Xinjiang province. It's a free reign for Netanyahu in in Palestine. It's a free free reign for Modi in in Kashmir. It's a free reign. It continues right, and that is the point. How do we bring these people to accountability? Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. I want to speak to one of my listeners. I want to hear your thoughts. Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two. If you've got an idea, if you've got a thought, zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two for your SMS or WhatsApp messages. We're going to be back in a couple of minutes when we go when we come back from the commercial break, and I'm going to be discussing shops, takeaways, and hygiene. Right, I'm sure you've popped into your local takeaway, you've popped into your local shop, and you've thought woeful, woeful hygiene, right? Or is it actually getting better? What is the trend? I want to hear your thoughts. We're going to be discussing that in the next half an hour, and plus how Luton is fast becoming one of the leading commuter towns in the region outside London. All of that next in the next hour, inshallah. We're going to go into commercial break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban, on uh, this evening, Friday the 24th of January. It's just gone past 7 p.m. We've just got, we've already gone through our first hour of the show. Uh, some interesting conversations that we've been having with some uh, experts. Uh, we've been discussing terrorism laws are to get tougher within weeks, the government has vowed. 
and in particularly uh, the weird idea very very strange idea of introducing lie detector tests i mean it's incredible stuff you, you you'd think it's a hollywood story but it's in, in fact what's been you know touted and, and, and discussed and then also u.s should the u.s be prosecuted for genocide over its sanctions policy so that was an interesting story i had a lovely conversation with uh, masood sharjah from the islamic human rights commission uh, for over about 20 minutes there in the, in the first hour so that was the first hour we are going to be moving on to the next hour i want to i want to just you know repeat my number because i want to speak to some of my listeners 01582 481822 uh, number here in the studio 0779481822 is the number for your sms whatsapp messages we're going to be moving on to our next story uh, and the next story is an interesting story caught my headlines earlier uh, this week uh, i think there were a, there was a particular takeaway that was uh, uh, found to be in uh, flagrant uh, you know violation of a lot of hygiene and health uh, and safety laws and legislation uh, i think it was shut down i couldn't find the story once i tried to go back to to find that particular story uh, but anyway it was uh, was later shut down i believe uh, but but that made me ask a, a wider question right and that's you know addressing this issue of our shops our takeaways in Bury park and not when i say our shops but just generally shops takeaways places of food uh, and you know how seriously are we taking hygiene how seriously are we taking health right i know it's actually becoming a more important issue now because there's obviously a lot of legislation surrounding it there's a lot of penalties surrounding it there's a lot of financial penalties surrounding it so it's in our interest to take it seriously but are we finding a trend that is indicating that the problem is getting better or is it a case of you know we still are where we are you know many many years ago have the attitudes changed or is it similar kind of attitudes of a few years ago okay with me in this not with me on the studio but with me on or hopefully on on the phone is liz bailey who's the commercial regulatory manager i believe for the luton borough council uh, so we're going to be speaking to liz and i, and I believe we're gonna we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna have a few moments of council aslam khan's time this evening who i believe is at the airport on, on his way out so i'm gonna hopefully hopefully be able to speak to him for a couple of minutes only but that's the introduction let's go straight over to to my guest we've got a councillor aslam khan and we've got liz bailey both of you thank you very much for your time this evening uh, and uh, let me just go straight to councillor aslam khan firstly because i know aslam Saab, uh, jaza- thank you very much for your time i know you're, you're about to travel away uh, currently at the airport potentially uh, i don't know if you heard the introduction but i uh, the question i'm asking is is it a problem that's getting better i we're dealing with the issue and we're seeing results and we're seeing a positive trend or is it you know a kind of a, an issue where we're still seeing quite a lot of violations when it comes to health and hygiene and our takeaways and our shops Aslam Saab um, I think well, look, by and large um, most of the, um, uh, the restaurants uh, are rated good uh, in our town however Mm. Uh, there is a problem uh, you might have seen in papers. Uh, yeah. We uh, take food standards very seriously here in Luton. Um, although we do work with uh, uh, the restaurant owners uh, or uh, fast food chain, uh, trying to uh, provide support and advice as much as we can. Um, mm. But some people fail to comply. They don't take food hygiene seriously. And as you uh, as you would know, it does possess serious uh, health risks. Um, the, People can get food poisoning at times, could sort of get uh, uh, other serious bacteria such as MRSA and it could be brain damaging. So people need to really take food hygiene very, very seriously. 
uh, and comp uh, comply with the regulation. But uh, answer to your question, um, majority of the uh, providers um, do uh, work closely with us, and we do provide them with the rating. Mm. And I would encourage uh, all the uh, customers to do check uh, because when they do get ratings, they do get stickers, uh, mm. which uh, the restaurant owners can display that, uh, whether on the windows or in front of the tills. Um, and, and that's something that we're encouraging all mm. our customers to do that. Yeah, so so I mean that that's definitely something that in the recent years has become a lot more visible in a lot of those takeaways, and, and I think that's generally reassuring uh, for a lot of the public that, of course, go and engage in trying, you know, in buying, you know, you know, food items from from these these vendors. But I mean, just tell me, Astam uh, Sab, is is the food hygiene rating and and certification is that a mandatory process, uh, requirement from from these food vendors, or is that a, a, a kind of a you know, uh, non, well, non well, it, 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 when when you do uh, open up any business, mm. you are required to obtain health and safety certificates. So you would uh, imagine that they would have gone through training, mm. and as well as training their staff, um, and they need to maintain cleanliness uh, at all times. So mm. quite often, what happens is that when the restaurants uh, are open or takeaways are open, um, and during the uh, period of time, there's a neglect. Um, so, you know, they don't maintain cleanliness, cleaning, grease builds up and because of grease and if, if the, you know, worktops or, yeah. or, or fires yeah. or even ceilings, if they come in contact uh, yeah. w with food, certainly sometimes you can uh, see the bacteria, uh, so, uh, you know, a mm. lot of the time, sort of bacteria is something you ca can't be seen. So yeah. you, you've got to then put checks and measures in place. You can work yeah. with providers, whether it's Gutenberg Council or other certified Mm. Uh, pest controls who can come in yeah. and um, so do those checks and so you know whether you're meeting standards or not yeah. and we uh, our trading standard does um, uh, do inspection mm. um, sometimes random and sometimes planned and right. we do allow people to rectify the situation if they're breaching the code right, or, or right. standards but okay. a lot of the time mm. for those business uh, closures we hate to close any business but yeah. if they fail to comply right. then we will act very strictly right. and, and we have done so where people have uh, not complied right right i mean i saw one headline which said that there are still four or there are 14 takeaways in luton with a zero or a, or a one star food hygiene rating and I, I don't know 14 out of how many but that would still suggest quite a, a considerable number I'm, I'm not i'm not too sure where that headline was or whether whether, whether that was recent or has been some time with regards to that it seems like there is a, a still a problem obviously prevalent and then of course there was a story this only this week in the press that caught my attention do, do, do you think Aslam Khan Sab, I want to get a last question in for you before I go to Liz and I know you're you're traveling so I want to let you go and, and enjoy your travel plans as opposed to speaking to me this evening I don't want to hold on to you for too long but but I, I, I are you are you sensing Aslam Sab, are, are you comfortable that the message is getting out there and the response and in your interaction with with business owners and you've got a lot of interaction with the community members from you know different ethnicity you know ethnicities that the message is getting there clearly to, to them are 
are you seeing that? Are you happy with, with the, what, the response that you're seeing? Well, well clearly, clearly, um, uh, you know, with some of these businesses, the message hasn't got across. But mm. with these closures, I think we send a strong message for those people mm. that you have to take food hygiene very, very seriously. Right. And if you would need support and help, it, 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 you know, the support help uh, is available. Mm. Now, uh, a lot of the time, um, you know, uh, our... Uh, providers, uh, whether they may be in Bury Park or, or in Town Centre, um, you know, over time, when they're overwhelmed with work and business, they they do sort of take sight of uh, uh, food hygiene. And yeah. that's something that we will not compromise. And so you have seen uh, in the papers and recently we have, uh, uh, you know, made closures. But all I would say is that it's a responsibility of everyone. It shouldn't be down to Ludenborough Council mm. going and doing checks. There are some basic standards that every uh, restaurant owner or, or fast food owner, mm. um, you know, should uh, uh, uphold. And that's something that they should train their staff. And, and you know, ultimately yeah. it's going to impact your business. Yeah. If yeah. you have good and clean... Uh, environment, you will attract more business. And yeah. the, the ratings that we have are 0 to 5. And there are a lot of businesses out there who have high ratings. All we're saying is that if the customers do inquire um, from uh, the restaurants or takeaways they actually uh, go and purchase food from, to ask them, you know, to challenge them and see what ratings mm. they are and why they're not provi- uh, improving. Right, fantastic. Councillor Aslam Khan, uh, of course, portfolio holder for Trading Standards. I really appreciate your time this evening and uh, all the best for, for the travel plans that you've thank got up you. uh, 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 ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much, Councillor Sub. All right, so I just wanted to get the councillors a couple of minutes input into, valuable input into this conversation. And uh, I really want to firstly apologise to Liz Bailey and also thank her for her absolute patience over the last couple of minutes listening to Councillor Sub. Uh, Liz, welcome to Friday Night Live and thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you ever so much for inviting me to uh, speak. You're, you're welcome, yeah. fantastic. So so I understand you're the commercial regulatory manager, right? So for the Luton Borough Council, right? So g- give our listeners a bit of an overview. What does that mean and w- what does that entail, uh, Liz, in the subject matter that we're discussing, yeah. health and hygiene? Well, the team um, is the team that's responsible for carrying out routine food hygiene inspections of all right. of our food premises in, right. in the borough. We've got over one and a half thousand businesses registered with us, um, ranging from shops to schools to care homes, the hospital, takeaways, restaurants, anywhere that sells food um, obviously needs to be registered and inspected by law. Um, And what I'd like to also get across to listeners is um, if you're operating a food business from your home and you're selling food on Instagram or Facebook, that also needs to be registered and inspected by us. Um, And for anyone out there that's purchasing food via social media sites, do challenge who you're buying your food from. Are Mm. they registered? Um, Because that is obviously an unseen um, market out there. And it's important that we get into those kitchens and make sure that things are being prepared safely. Um, But, you know, it's not all bad news. Obviously, the press um, like to pick up on the prosecution. But, you know, 92% of our businesses in Luton do have a rating of three or more. And 57 have a rating of five or more. Obviously, it's the 8%, which is approximately 88 that, you know, we're working with to improve. And we are seeing a shift in food hygiene ratings okay um you know we we do know publicly that people want to be able to eat in a 
four or a five and mm. good ratings are good for business you know if you've got Absolutely. a higher rating you are going to get more money through your till um, mm. yeah so what we do and say to all businesses if you've currently got a zero one or a two or even if you have a three you know do work hard to improve your standards you will have got an inspection letter at the end mm. of your visit work through that um, and apply for a hygiene rating what you know frustrates us more than anything is that when we do an inspection and it um, comes out as a zero one or two there is more work done by ourselves to make sure that that business does improve um, mm. uh, but ultimately you know if the business wants to improve their rating they, they do need to request uh, a hygiene rating right. school visit right. and so, they don't and so when you okay. look at the stats yeah. on their website mm. um, I'm with you you know it looks as though they were inspected quite a long time ago with a low right. rating which right. isn't good for them or good for Luton Wow so so there's a lot, a lot of valuable information in, in those last couple of minutes yeah. I mean I mean the, the initial statistics that you've cited is fantastic because I mean you know you mm. know that that's just puts things into perspective in terms of how many yeah. businesses food businesses you you actually you and your team have to actually manage and inspect mm. and and, and the figures actually, as as a percentage, sound positive. To be honest with you, I mean, when we say eight, it's eight yeah. percent, right? That is that 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 kind of dangerous category, right? That really need that, you know, further attention. And and my question was going to be, I mean, is, is it a case that it's a voluntary initial, you know, and you know, an inspection that happens on behalf of the the food outlets that you're requesting, or is it something that you know what? It's, it's below the standards and it's something that's on your books and something that needs to happen again uh, and so that to ensure compliance and, and uh, you know, minimum standards are met. What's the, how does the process work? Yeah, so basically once a food business registers, we inspect it and we risk rate it and from right. the risk rating that determines their rating, hygiene rating. Hmm. Obviously if it's a zero, one or two, then we will be programming revisits and hopefully right. on the first revisit, the business will have done what was in the letter mm. and then we can look to see whether we can nudge up and improve their rating or alternatively the business can apply formally to have their rating reviewed and hopefully it will go up in the right direction but there are some businesses for whatever reason that don't do the work perhaps mm. their heart's not fully in their business the owners perhaps at arm's length yeah. and um, they're not fully engaged and and then we can start to issue for example hygiene improvement notices which require work to be done in a set time scale and again if that doesn't work then you know we have to take the appropriate level of enforcement action to gain compliance hmm. um, if on an inspection or a complaint investigation we find that there's um, active pest infestations cockroaches, mice, yeah. rats, even flies, we have to take action to protect public health and that's where we would immediately close the business. So our message, and it's great to be on the radio tonight to cascade mm. this out to everyone, is do get a good robust pest control contract in place with a really good provider. Mm. Um, you know, you can take advice and even get a contract from the council's traded service pest control um, because it is an insurance policy ironically people do get a bit shocked when they get the initial quote for a pest contract but no. you know the cost of not having a, a robust pest control contract yeah. in place is going to be a lot more um you know so it is an yeah. insurance policy but it it's important as well that businesses don't just have a pest control contract that sits on the shelf mm. and they leave the pest controller 
you know, to do their work, that it's a team effort and, yeah. you know, cleaning is happening on site. If the pest controller makes recommendations about structural improvements, you know, that the food business operator does that as well. Right. Um, you know, so I, w I really would urge people to get advice from our pest control service mm. by ringing the council, um, you know, just, just to get some advice and to think about getting a contract and, the other important thing is to make sure that waste is properly disposed of, right. you know, in, in bins, that there's adequate bins. We're not leaving, you know, food waste and packaging outside, litters being disposed of by members of the public. Um, you know, when we talk about food premises, it's not just inside, but it's, you know, behind, you know, outside in the yard and mm. at the back and the side, making sure all that's clean and clear. Well. You know, we haven't got old oil drums or mm. old disused equipment. Um, you know, so real good spring clean and, you know, clear yeah. out the clutter and, yeah. and uh, let's all get a five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it sounds it sounds great. It sounds quite, quite detailed. And uh, and I can I can see some someone who's, who's venturing new into a business and, you know, it's already a, a very expensive venture uh, as, as you, you know, set uh, set upon, you know, going into a, a new business enterprise mm. uh, and then to then consider all of these ad additional costs. It can it can sometimes, you know, become a bit of a distracting uh, point and, and, and an area where people are probably trying to save a bit of money. Uh, and then that kind of results in in, in these kind of violations and, and these kind of trends that that, that 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 we then ultimately see. But the but the message is that it's really not worth it, and you've got to take that into consideration as a as a day one prerequisite, as opposed to something that we can push to aside and come back to later. Uh, you know, when exactly. it's all, 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 almost too late. In in in, in fact. Mm. And you know, engage with the staff. You know, look at the standards of cleanliness. Maybe set up a WhatsApp, WhatsApp, you know, group between mm. the staff within the restaurant and take pictures of good cleaning and where it needs a bit more cleaning or it's, you know, really not being done. And, um, you know, people are at work for a long time in the day and I'm sure, yeah. you know, they're not flat out serving customers. So, you know, when there's downtime, that's when cleaning should happen. Mm. Um, you know, making sure you've got good ventilation to take the grease out of the kitchen so it's then not resting on all of the equipment which then is harder to clean mm. um, you know it's just simple measures improving structure um, you know we are seeing as well with the likes of Just Eat now they won't if anyone has a zero they take them offline right. they um, oh, okay. only want okay. those with a three or more and right. um, I think that is increasing compliance because soon the business right. realizes once that just eat account shut off yeah. you know they're not getting the orders okay. and ironically then they ask us for a, a revisit um okay. uh, we talked earlier about that's very interesting stickers. isn't it mm. it is i think that's going to mm. you know really help raise compliance yeah um in northern ireland and wales it's actually a requirement by law to have to display your sticker mm. and i think after eu exit we'll see the food standards agency move towards that becoming a requirement in england so again you know with us you know taking more strong enforcement action now on some of these long-standing poor performers plus you know the external pressures from the likes of just eat and the need yeah. to play rating i think you know the message is going to get through and i think we you know in luton we already are seeing seeing that yeah yeah uh, i i think sounds sounds like a a, a good yeah, good plan uh, and it seems like you 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 know liz uh, you know you and your team are, are definitely on top of uh, 
the game here uh, and, and, and I, th- I think you're, you're absolutely right I mean you know there's no- nothing more comforting yeah I, I know the taste of the food is very comforting <laughs> once we've, we've bought something I think it, 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 wow fantastic it tastes really well uh, but it, it's uh, actually going into a takeaway going into a shop going into a, f- a food place outlet and just the general hygiene around you gives you a very positive feeling about the place right now the, the other problem is that whilst the external might give that you know you don't know what's happen- actually happening behind in the kitchen and that that's the problem mm-hmm. right so that's the area which is obviously not visible to to a lot of the customers in, in some places you know what they make it very transparent and you can actually see you know through to the kitchen you can see how the food has been prepared and that obviously gives you a, an extra element of reassurance but I, I do like the idea of that sticker or that certificate being out there firmly in the window you know making it known Here's where we stand when it comes to hygiene, and I and I get that that's not quite mandatory at this stage, uh, and it's you know it, of course in the interest of the business. But if that is something that could almost be you know a big part of compliance, then I think that would definitely you know set a long way in terms of making sure you know who wants to put a sticker in the window which says I'm too, right? Mm. Uh, and I yeah. think that's going to be you know an, an additional element which is going to really help uh, achieve a good result. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're actually promoting all of our um, premises to get a five at the moment on our social media and council website. We're calling calling it Friday Fives. And it's, it's great to see the comments that are being made. And yeah. um, again, you know, if what we do is when, when a business, is, you know, especially the independents yeah. achieve five, it's a great celebration. And mm. we've blown up a, a five board sticker right. and take pictures of, of the... Uh, staff and the owner outside their shop and put that on our social media and it right. you know it's great to see yeah. and wouldn't it be great if if we could get whole streets that are all a five and uh, really celebrate because we've got some great food offerings out there yeah. um you know it's just making sure that the environment in which that food is prepared like you say is is uh, safe and healthy okay and clean. okay brilliant uh, liz bailey commercial regulatory manager lutonborough council thank you very much for your time this evening great speaking to you and uh, have a lovely uh, evening and a lovely weekend lovely thank you right, very much fantastic. thanks liz thanks bye-bye Right, listen, that was uh, Liz Bailey, uh, a commercial regulatory manager for Luton Borough Council. Uh, and of course, we had earlier Councillor Aslam Khan Saab. Uh, you know, mashallah, fantastic for giving us a few minutes of his time from the airport to discuss a very pertinent subject matter. And that's, of course, hygiene, health and our shops, food, places and, and takeaways. You know, sometimes, I, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I can be a bit biased sometimes. And I think, you know, sometimes we've got the same culture or mentality sometimes of some of those food outlets that you see in Pakistan right? or India or Bangladesh, whatever, right? So we, we, we can't quite have that mentality, guys, when it comes to food and hygiene. And of course, it's a lot more serious, right? Because I also think, you know, people, people have become a lot more serious about this issue. You know, there's so much allergies out there. There are so many, you know, health and issues, you know, stories out there that people are really becoming cognizant of the fact that this can actually, you know, be, 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 be quite detrimental 
to your businesses out there so it's all in your interest to to ensure that you're complying uh, and you're making sure that you've got those high food hygiene standards and you're advertising that and uh, hopefully it's good for business too right anyway so that was a, a light topic that we were discussing mashallah you know i've got a my next panelist my my guest who's coming to the studio i'm gonna i won't introduce him quite yet i'll introduce him after the commercial break inshallah but we're going to be discussing an interesting topic right it's very interesting for me because i'm not lutonian right so i'm i'm from the north from, from leeds let, let, let me share that with you and, and i tell you many many years ago uh, 2001 when I first came to Luton when I saw the prices of rent this is 2001 right Nisasa you want to listen to this right uh, and, and coming from Leeds I thought wow this is so expensive so expensive right you know I, I was used to paying you know two three hundred pounds for, for a house in 2001 in, in Leeds and then I came to, to, to Luton and it was like 500 pounds 600 pounds I thought wow this this is too expensive this is so expensive how am I gonna afford <laughs> rent like this but let, let's fast forward to 2020 right 2019 i forget five or six hundred pounds right i mean you want to get a decent place you know we're talking about good good thousand plus if not you know close to uh, close to that figure the reason i'm discussing this story is of course uh, you know luton's been named in the top five most affordable commuter towns most affordable commuter towns and you know it's becoming a fast commuter belt it's been a commuter belt for a long time what are the impacts what are the challenges what are the opportunities that this brings to the town right that's what i'm going to be discussing and you've already guessed it i've already introduced it I've got Mohammed Nisar Saab from Ideal Properties in the studio and I'm going to be discussing with him because he is a really a real Lutonian, right? So he's seen Luton over the last couple of decades. I want to hear his experience. I want to get his perspective on things. And we're also going to be discussing with uh, some of them from the council. So an interesting conversation for the next 20 minutes when we come back from the commercial break. You are with me, Hafiz Shaban, on Friday Night Live. 01582481822 is the number in the studio. If you've got a question for Nisar Saab, you know the number to call. 0779481822 for your SMS, WhatsApp messages. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, on uh, Luton Inspire FM 105.1 FM. Uh, this is Friday the 24th of January. We've just gone past 7.30 p.m. Last half an hour, last 25 minutes of the show for you this evening. Your last opportunity to get involved and uh, share any of your particular thoughts on any of the stories that we've covered this evening or even this new virus that has broken out in uh, in China. If you've got any particular thoughts on that, we didn't cover that story today but maybe we might cover it next week just to see how the de- well let's see how the developments on the, and how that progresses uh, next week uh, but anyway we are covering a last story and a half I'm gonna say because we've got a, a brief story we're gonna cover right at the end 01582481822 is the number here in the studio 01582481822 
Uh, and 0779 is the number for any SMS, WhatsApp messages and we will take any SMS, WhatsApp messages uh, this evening on, on the show. Right, just before the commercial break, I introduced to you my guest in the studio. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my guest on live now uh, and you can come close and listen up to the... To the mic. Uh, so, Salaam uh, Brother Nisar. We've got Brother Nisar here from Ideal Properties in the studio. Uh, you want to say salams to our, to our listeners? Wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to yourself and all the listeners. Oh, fantastic, right? So, you, you sound very co- comfortable and confident, man. And you're telling me this is the first time in the studio. <laughs> this is the first I, time. I don't believe that, man. <laughs> all right. So, so we're, we're going we're gonna to be co- covering a topic which is obviously very... Um, uh, close to to your line of business and hence you know our request for you to come in which you've kindly responded to we've also got sean tim timoney i believe on on, on the line uh, sean am I, am I saying your name correct yes that's correct it's uh, councillor sean timoney sean timoney fantastic thank you very much for joining us this evening deputy leader of the council with social responsibility for investment strategy and economic development is the is the introduction that i've been provided hopefully that's accurate uh, right, so so we we're together to discuss a an interesting topic, a positive st- uh, topic, right? And that is Luton being named in the top five most affordable commuter towns, right? So I like the word affordable because, of course, it depends what you compare it against, doesn't it, right? So I gave my in- introduction earlier, which is coming from Leeds many many years ago. I definitely didn't find it affordable, but I, I mean, I, I guess uh, Sean, c- coming to you firstly, I mean, it's a very positive story, firstly, for for Luton town, right? So that that's that's great, and of course, it also introduces its uh, uh, challenges and opportunities at the same time it certainly does yeah um, I did hear, hear you mention about uh, the cost when you were up in Leeds and the, the rental cost there and what the difference was here yeah. but for me the um, to have a positive story about Luton is fantastic because we do get a lot of negative press yeah. I mean Luton's really had a lot of unfair press so mm. um, to, to have something positive like this is great but, but you're right, it does bring its own challenges because um, Luton's always been a working town. It's been a place where people have come mm. to find work yeah. and uh, they need accommodation to go with that that's reasonably priced and they're finding that and that's mm. what that survey showed. Mm. But um, we need to make sure that we're not pricing our own people out and moving away from Luton. Mm. We do get some turnover of people in the town. Uh, but we want to make sure that everybody's kind of catered for. Um, but it's brilliant because we have a lot of new businesses coming into the town um, and it helps with our growth and our um, boost in our economy. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, all positive. Uh, absolutely. So I, I think we all concur. I'm going to bring in uh, Nisar Saab hopefully in, in a short while. I'll just let him listen to, you, to yourself initially. A uh, positive story, I agree. But what, what about the challenges then around that, Sean? Because, of course, I mean, being a commuter town and, and a more affordable commuter town than a lot of the other towns that surround London, right? Uh, it also then means it puts that additional strain on, on the town, its resources, its infrastructure, uh, you know, the, the limited, you know, availability for uh, quite a lot of people that are indigenous to the town and those that are coming out of the town. I mean, of course, you can't exclude any, anyone from coming in, but, 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 but how are we addressing some of those challenges and what are those some of those challenges that you're seeing as a council? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There are challenges because it means 
the more people that are coming into the town, uh, the more demand <coughs> schools and the hospitals and um, all of our services are, are under greater, greater demand. Mm. It means that um, you will have noticed around Luton lots of properties that were previously offices or shops or other buildings have become accommodation because accommodation is, is a need in Luton. Um, and that's the thing that people are investing in because they know they can make money from property that people are living in. Um, but it does bring its challenges. Uh, mm. So w we need to make sure that we keep up with that. So there are lots of new projects that are coming along in Newton, um, including the new football ground that's going to have um, around about five or 600 um, residential units in it. You can see what's going on on the old Vauxhall site in Kimpton Road. Mm. Um, and then, of course, there's the future development at Junction 10, Newlands right. Park. Okay. So there's so much going on in the town that's going to mm. provide facilities for people, places for them to go, yeah. places for them to eat, mm. places for them to have entertainment. And that's the kind of thing that we, we okay. really need to to provide. Okay. All right. All right. Sean, let, let me let me bring in uh, Nisasab. So, of course, Nisasab is a, 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 a through and through Lutonian, right? And you've seen Luton develop over the last, we were just having a conversation earlier, 40, 40 50 years, right? Certainly, uh, yes. T t tell me about your experiences over the last couple of decades and, and where you see Luton uh, at, at the moment, Nisasab. Uh, Luton's been a very great, you know, very good town, great town for people, you know, especially the people that came from people that came from abroad as you know immigrants you know or labor uh, force that came from say Pakistan India Bangladesh West Indies yeah. I remember um, that you know there's so many opportunities job opportunities you know you'd you know, be walking past and there'd be you know vacancies a big board outside the factories yeah. but uh, obviously you know people have Gone, you know, they've gone places. You know, it's fulfilled my dreams. Yeah. I mean, I've achieved more than I could even dream of, to mm. be honest with you. Mm. And I think even now, I mean, if people are willing to work, yeah. they can, you know, still achieve their dreams. Because look at, you know, look at, you know, people. I mean, you can't get um, tradesmen, mm. plumbers, yeah. electricians, yeah. you know, mechanics, decent mechanics. You know, there's. <coughs> So much opportunity for people to go and you know mm. take an apprentice and you know um, and there's, there is you know, there, there's quite a lot of opportunity even now mm. um, house prices as you were saying earlier on leads yes but you know then the price the house prices are cheap there as well so you can pick up a house maybe yeah. maybe hundred and fifty thousand for a decent house well, um, maybe some years ago I was, <coughs> I was talking about let's put it in context two thousand and one right so yeah uh, th things have moved on even in, in leads considerably depending on wh where you want to buy but okay so we've got a positive story here about Luton right Luton outside, yeah Luton right? yeah Luton's, very positive it's worked for me and you know most of my friends right it's worked for you most of your friends Right. So from a real estate perspective, right, mm. what are the challenges that you're seeing, right, as someone in real estate, of course, it's, it's very, you know, affordable, you know, for, for a lot of people, a lot of people are therefore coming into town. Are you finding, a, you know, a, a, a challenge around supply and demand uh, from a Luton perspective? Or are you, do you think that currently there's enough out, out there in, in, on the market for, for, for the supply? I think there is, yeah. There, you know, there's, I mean, always is, always has been. I mean, mm. a couple of three, four, five years ago, um, there was quite a bit of demand. Mm. Uh, prices went up um, on rental as well as you know uh, 
purchasing properties, you know, the value of the or, you know, properties went up, you know, in by quite a lot, you know, mm. it jumped, you know, uh, by say about 15, 20 percent mm. within a short time because there's a lot of, you know, demand. Yeah. But then, you know, uh, as the demand died down a bit, they came back to, you know, what they were. Mm. And they actually, you know, they went down by uh, further, probably about 10 percent. But then mm. again, that happens, you know, every few years, every 10 years, every every decade, you know, you see, you know, there's, mm. there's a change. And, uh, it, you know, I don't think anybody's, you know, um, really lost anything, you know. Right. I think people are still willing to work hard. Mm. There's, plen there's plenty of jobs out there somebody wants to work. Yeah. There's mm. plenty of, you know, you just can't get tradesmen. You can't get decent mm. tradesmen. So there is mm. opportunity there. Mm. Mm. But... Uh, and and what, about, what, what about working with the council then, uh, Nisasa? I mean, of, of course, being in real estate, being, be, being in property, you, you know, being in a no, no, number of different lines of businesses. I don't know what other lines of businesses mm. you're in. I mean, is, is there close cooperation and working with, with councillors and, and, and with the council? How, how are you finding that relationship and, and working together to address some of the... Yes, less harvest and, and less yield, take you know, best yield from the opportunities, but also some of the, the problems and the, and the challenges around to some of those areas. I think, you know, uh, councils have been very helpful, you know. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, uh, they need to house people and so do we. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's this, you know, you always get a bad apple, you know, even mm -hmm. you get a bad agent, you get a bad, mm -hmm. you know, bad tenant, mm -hmm. bad landlord, you know, but mm -hmm. doesn't overall, you know, we've all... There's, there's, you know, everybody's done well and it's pos positive. Right. It looks positive out there. Very good. And, and Sian, I mean, what do you see as, as the immediate challenges for, for Luton to sustain this growth and, and this development and uh, being, uh, you, know, a, you know, an area which has been clearly earmarked as a, as a place of choice for a lot of people who want to, who wanna, you know, either, you know, come out of London and, and move somewhere more affordable or it's the first time, that, you know, for someone to come, you know, on the outskirts of London and use it as a commuter bill. Is that for me? Yeah. That's for us, Sian. Sian, go on. Sean. <laughs> yeah, it's for me. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, it's exactly what your, your other speaker said. There's got to be uh, affordable rents and there's got to be places to buy. But more than that, we need to offer more choice. We need to offer the opportunity for people to get on the property ladder uh, by things like shared ownership. The, um, offer properties that are for key workers like uh, nurses and, and teachers and things like that. So we need to offer a wider range of choice. Um, we do get sometimes criticised that there are loads and loads of flats in the town and not enough housing. Mm. But actually we need, um, we need a lot of different types of properties, yes. But in the town centre, a lot of people are commuting back and forth from London. We need some aspirational type apartments so people that are working in London perhaps but living in Luton are um, spending their money in Luton and uh, boosting our economy so that's mm. why alongside all of this accommodation you've got to have developments that are going ahead uh, like the ones from 2020 yeah. that are going to provide places where people can socialize and people can eat and people can have entertainment mm. um, and then on top of that we're doing the town center master plan which is really going to be a big bold look at what's ha what's going well in our town center and what's not in the immediate town center and what's not going so well and let's right. look at how we can uh, reconfigure that and make it work for everybody because the town center has really changed i'm sure your other caller will yeah. definitely recognize this 
I'm Luton born and bred the same as him, um, you will see that the town centre, now there are a lot more um, accommodation units in the town centre, and a lot of those people don't have a lot of money, they may not have many places to kind of congregate and to meet, and so we're going to have to change our town centre to meet their needs. Mm. Um, But I think it's all really, really positive stuff. All right, Sean, uh, uh, Timony, thank you very much for joining us this evening on Friday Night Live, and thank you very much for your time. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much, Timony. Thank you, you Sean, thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Sean. I want to I bring you into the conversation this hour, so have a bit more. So, you know, let, let Sean go and enjoy her uh, weekend. Thank you. Thanks for her time. What, one of the, the challenges, right, she, she raised is this issue of property prices, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if... if, if you, I don't think the property prices in Newton have dropped for at all, or have they dropped, right? Uh, and you know this opportunity for people who want to get onto the ladder for the first time. I mean, I mean, government's got its, its own initiatives, right? Mm. Uh, you know, firstly, in terms of property prices in Luton, I mean, you know, do you see any relief in terms of those, you know, becoming a bit more stagnant, a bit more stable, or do you continually see them, you know, being, you know, inclining and, and increasing? You know, what's your current kind of uh, feeling? Uh, what, what's been the trend? Uh, and what are the opportunities there for, for, pers- for, for a first-time buyer, for example? What, you know, what's available to a first-time buyer? Uh, it is a bit difficult, but you know that mm. difficulty has always been there. That mm. used to be, you know, like that even mm. when we were buying, mm. you know, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, if somebody's got a decent job, you know, they yeah. they can still go and so. I mean, there's two of them with a couple of working. Yeah. If, that, if they're earning say fifty thousand between them, mm. they'll get about two hundred ten thousand pound mortgage, mm. and you can get still got to you know acquire a house. A two, a two two bedroom, you know, for about that, you know, even less than that. We just uh, we are selling one in Selborne Road. Needs a bit of work. Uh, you, you advertising now. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, oh, we right. just and for about hundred sixty five thousand. Right. It's a probate. Yeah. But there are still bargains out there if you yeah. look around. Yeah. And um, Kilnway, we you know there. Yeah. I mean. Very, very beautiful, you know, flats built yeah. about 10, 15, 20 years ago right. behind the main Tesco's. Right. And uh, we were struggling to sell them for about, you know, 175. Right. right. Okay. Two bedroom apartments, you know, right. and they got park in there as well. Right. Um, so, uh, so there's still, you know. You're, you're saying that there, there are, uh, you know, op- uh, options. Of right? course. So yes. you obviously have to, you know, may, maybe go out the com- comfort zone or maybe the, your, your ideal or preferred area that you may want to buy in, but there are other areas that you can consider, mm. uh, you know, which are a bit, a bit more affordable. That, yes, that, that, yes. That's, that's your point. And, and the, other, the other question that, you know, Sean was raising was, was the type of uh, accommodation also. I mean, flats, you know, versus homes. Well, what's, what's the trend here in Luton from, from your expertise, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, I see Leeds as, as an example. Whenever I go back, I go back every couple of months, right? I mean, the, the, the ratio of flats that are going up versus homes is incredible because Le- Leeds is a massive city, right? Uh, and and uh, very 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 big university and a lot of that is university plus professionals right well what's the trend that you're seeing here in in Luton at the moment Um, there are a lot of flats you know Mm. uh, being built at the moment you know a lot of buildings ex-offices you know have been converted into a lot of Mm. flats Mm. obviously there's um, around the town you're never going to have enough space to build houses Mm. so you know you can only you know build flats Mm. and majority of the commuters or people or you know 
people without children or young, you know, young couples. Yeah, it's easier for them to commute to London, you know, from near the town centre. Mm. Hence, you know, they tend to go for flats. Mm. But you know, when they have a family, there's still, you know, availability out there houses. If somebody wants to buy a house, but obviously not going to be in the town centre because if you buy yeah, a house in the town centre, you know, mm. you know, parking problems as well. Mm. And majority of the people have, you know, one or two cars. Mm. So that's another uh, plus point, you know, that uh, people, you know, for the people, for the people who are developing flat, you know, making flats, because mm. uh, a lot of people, you know, will not be able, to, you know, commuters would just uh, buy near the t- uh, stations, yeah, exactly, or in the town centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, he's the motor motor is accessible, easily accessible, mm. and so the. Uh, stations, mm. uh, train stations, and bus stations. Right, and, and and what's the trend at the moment? What what, what are you seeing? Are, are you seeing? Is it still a buoyant market? Is it still you know busy, or are, are you seeing a bit of a a bit of a slowdown in in, in the market? It, at the it is. It's you know slowdown. Quite a lot mm. of people are not committing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking. I mean, this, this Brexit scare, etc. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I personally. Uh, people come and ask us, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Mm. <laughs> we don't know ourselves. Mm. Uh, but I don't think, you know, it's going to get any worse. Mm. I don't, you know, it's just a scare. Uh, still the same amount of people are still going to live here. Yeah. The jobs are still there. Factories mm. are not closing or, you mm. know, opportunity is still there. So uh, if somebody has to sell a house, sell a house. If somebody mm. needs to buy one, if you're going to... And property has gone down, to be honest mm. with you. It's, you know, I think at least ten percent in Luton pricing, over the last you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, mm. I mean, I mean, l- last couple of months. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I mean, I am a contractor, right? So mm. I, I work in the city contract, and then you know, you, you I finished my last contract a couple of months ago, and and a lot of contractors are saying that they've been saying the same, which is the market's really dead at the moment right yes, yes, it's, it's, it's nothing's down. happening right and you're sending off your cvs and it's like it's going into a black hole mm. <laughs> it's just disappeared somewhere right and of course i mean the last couple of months have been have been very volatile right end of the year you got the the brexit you got elections you got a regulation coming in and now you're just coming out of that at the moment and there's still a lot of that you know still hanging uh, hanging on right uh has that had a, a real impact on, on real estate and the prices i mean it's interesting that you're saying that you think that it's a bit it's, it's dropping a bit the prices have dropped a bit right Price because w- w- at least in the area that i live and i see around me i see a house go up uh, you know for sale and i see it snapped up pretty pretty quickly right yeah, yes. even though there's a couple of properties there i see it pr- pretty quickly is that just because it's a, is it more of a coveted area it is yes yes i mean mm. in old bedford road and sort of you know mountain drive the areas you know you always get a lot of people you know <laughs> Waiting for properties to come up you know, in that area, mm. so they can actually you know go for them. It's uh, mm. overall you know majority of the Luton price. There's there's quite a bit of availability and uh, right. and even the rents have gone down as well. What they were two years ago. Really? Yes, yes. They've wow. Gone down. So 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 more of a reason for people to move into Luton. Move by, into by Luton. The, by yes. The fans of what Nisasab's telling me. Yeah. All right. So 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 very positive. Good story there. I mean, of course, you know the the, the article also cited that uh, some of the cheaper. Commu- Meteor travel fares from Luton. I mean, I only see the fares going up every year, but of course, everything's in comparison with the, with the other fares from the other towns, and it's a lot cheaper than some of the other towns. But and you're right. At the end of the day, what's the choice? Either you go to Watford, or you go to some of the other boroughs. Which is London, twice as much. You pay twice is, as much rent there, which is twice twice as much for a property to acquire. Wow, wow. All right, uh, Nisar Sab, thank you very much for your time uh, this evening. Lovely having you here, and uh, you know what? Let's let's make this more of a regular regular thing. 
it's good to get. <laughs> Thank you very much I, for having I, me. I'll, I'll get your feedback, man. Make sure you, you know, you're comfortable and uh, and and you're good with that. Inshallah. Zakallah. <laughs> All right. So that's Nisasa from uh, Ideal Properties uh, sharing his expertise on uh, an article that we were covering, which is Luton named in the top five most affordable commuter towns and what that means in terms of opportunities and challenges for, for Luton. Thank you very much, Nisasa. All right, listeners, uh, you, you're with me, Hafiz Shaban. We're, we're in our last almost four or five minutes of the show. I'm going to be just covering a last final story. I've got uh, a, a new guest that's just joined me in the studio, and I'm going to ask the guest to also help me with the story, right? Uh, so is, is, is it Brother uh, Zuhaj Zaman? Zuhaj Zaman, yeah. Zuhaj Zaman, Zuhaj Zaman. All right, fantastic. Uh, okay, bro. Jazakallah for joining us in the studio, right? No problem. So we've got these uh, is it Asian Community Forums kickoff. Yeah, Asian Community well, Forums, uh, the when, FA when, are when proposing. Com- but just before Nisabai goes away, I just want to thank him personally because I was, I'm part of Luton United Grassroots Football Club. Right. And uh, he sponsored one of our teams. Oh, fantastic. Um, and that just shows how much he's kind of like contributed to fantastic. community football, uh, which I've been, uh, you know, over the last 20 years and you know we really need people like himself who've got you know the businesses that to want get, to contribute to, get involved, to get, involved. get involved positive fantastic thank you very much man it's good that you made that known mashallah but but that's what i said we, we need people from the community to come into the the studio and uh, you know participate in in these conversations so uh, you're, you're a luton town academy coach well, when they told me asian community i thought this is going to be some kind of a arts awards or some bollywood uh, asian community awards but obviously we're not we're not discussing either of those no this no no just, I mean, the well, pop- what is this, man? The UK's population, you know, there's uh, right. in terms of Asians, there's eight million of us in the UK. Wow! And just in, alone okay. in Luton, thirty percent right. of our population is Asian. So it's a, a FA initiative that's been going on for six years, yeah. trying to promote more inclusion right. of Asians, and you know, right. give them the aspiration to be not in, only involved in grassroots, but in football in general. You know, right. trying to get more prospects through. Right. Um, so, so, so the battle that I'm seeing in the on the football pitches at the moment is a very uphill battle, man. I mean, I mean, there's know, challenges. There's you know, huge I, challenges, right? There's, there's there's loads of challenges. You know, I think culturally, us as Asians. Uh, we put those barriers in front of us mm. um, and I can appreciate and understand probably a generation or two generations ago you know those challenges there but I think now that we're approaching you know where our community is embedded into so, British so, culture yeah. more then I think there's more opportunity and adaptability so we've required. managed to, to, to convince our parents that it's, it's football and not cricket yeah, well, and then I mean, we'll, and and then once we've convinced them it's, it's football and not cricket, then it's actually getting you know, and we've got plenty of talent out there, definitely, right? Definitely, but yeah. then it's a matter of getting that talent developed, developed, recognised, rec- and, and an, an opportunity to to nurture that even further. And I think that's where the the next hurdle is because in cricket we've made it through, right? So we've got a number of prominent cricketers representing England, but in football we're we're, we're very far from. Yeah, from that, yeah, I think the, 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 there's issues also with cricket with Asians now in terms of yes, they play but they're not mm. holding on to those Asians mm. that play mm. so mm. they're not getting them through All either right. so um. so we've got we've got about a minute and a half left right so FA is, is taking some kind of grassroots yeah. initiative what is it trying yeah. to do so it's trying to push forward more Asian inclusion so they've mm. kicked off on Monday they kicked off with the the first round of the uh, road show in uh, Luton so they're going to go around various other places right. with high Asian uh, population to right. try and kind of promote and say what initiatives and what they've been doing to try mm. and push forward right. uh, but but I think for, for our 
community, the first port of call is look, join a local club and start getting involved mm. with the local clubs. You know, there's a number of us that really need good volunteers mm. to just support in any capacity, really. There's yeah. all sorts of things that they could get themselves involved. And the first thing they need to do is just have those conversations. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, is this something genuine that you're seeing from, from the FA? You think there's going to get I think it? it's genuine. Yeah. Uh, but, the, you know, the outcomes for it is that, mm. you know, they can push everything towards it. Mm. It's like you take a horse to water, but you can't make yeah. it drink it. So you need Absolutely. to make sure that uh, the community buys in. And just Luton Town themselves, you know, they've really kind of supported the initiative and they're really yeah. like looking to promote it. Yeah. But it requires the community to say, yes, we want to believe in it. We yeah. want to and, take and, part. And the com- really. community is buying it. I mean, you get plenty of, you know, Asians, you know, sending their kids, you know, attending football twice, three times a week, right? So it's not that they're not buying into it. Exactly. Like, look, mm. I'm, I'm the academy, one of the academy coaches at mm. Luton. So, you know, you've got to commit three times, mm. three times a week mm. uh, and a game day on the weekend. Right. So that, you know, if you're telling me they're already doing that, uh, yeah. then there's no reason why talent come to, can't come through really alright fun, fun, fantastic very, very quickly t- five, any, any, any stars any names that we should we should, uh, we should look out for in, in the near future that you, you, you're aware of that might be representing Liverpool anytime soon Liverpool? <laughs> yeah. you mean Luton? Uh, no, oh yeah I mean, I mean uh-huh. Liverpool there's plenty out there I think uh, it's just right. it would be unfair to kind of like pinpoint uh, anyone okay uh, lovely speaking to you Zohar Zaman right? Luton Town Academy coach unfortunately we're out of time uh, and until next week it's uh, Salam Assalamualaikum from me, Hafiz Shaban, and brother Nisa here in the studio, and brother Zuhaj Zaman. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at inspirefmluton.